Sunday morning is created for the person who believes in Jesus to welcome their family and friends. So Sunday morning is completely different than Wednesday night. Sunday morning is when we as believers bring our family and friends so that they can understand the Word of God. So it's done differently on Sunday mornings. It's done with the intention of reaching out to lost people one relationship at a time so that they can find Jesus Christ. Somebody reached out to us, right? I mean, we weren't just... Uh, we didn't just show up in this world and then all of a sudden we became believers. It's like people believed in us and so they introduced us to Jesus Christ. Whether it was through a relationship or through the radio or maybe you were down and out one day and you heard about church and you went and you received Christ. Somebody did something for us so that we could find Jesus Christ. And now that we know Jesus Christ, it's our turn to do the same thing for everyone else. So that's why we come here on Wednesday night. It's to be equipped to do the work of the ministry. We're all ministers once we come to know Jesus Christ. Now, you might be thinking, oh, I'm not a minister. You don't know my life. Well, if you have Jesus Christ in your heart, that's what you give. You, you don't need to know everything about the Bible. You don't need to know how to pray. You don't need to know uh, uh, scriptures and, you know, front and back of the Bible. It's good to know. But when people ask you, so what is Jesus all about? Basically, you give them your story. This is what Jesus did for me. Yeah, but doesn't it say this, 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 and this? I have no idea. All I know is this is what Jesus did for me. Yeah, but uh, wasn't he just some fake guy? Wasn't he just a good teacher? I don't know. All I know is this is what Jesus did for me. And that's, that's called a testimony. That's what it is. You're a witness to what Jesus did for you. So we don't, you know, sometimes we, we cut ourselves short on God's very best and Him using us because we feel we're not qualified. And really, it's not us anyway. It's Jesus who's qualified because He's the one that died for our sins. So we let people know what Jesus did for us, one relationship at a time. And people will come to know Him as Lord and Savior. And that's why we're here on Wednesday night, and that's why we do Sunday morning. It's so that we can help you in your attempts to reach your family and friends for Jesus Christ. It's pretty simple. So why do we open up the Bible then? Well, if you turn to 2 Timothy, uh, if you do have your Bibles, you can turn there. And we've been looking at the history and authenticity of the Bible. And in 2 Timothy 3, we've been looking at this scripture. And uh, you can out, uh, underline it or, or highlight it in your Bible. Or if you're using some kind of Bible app on your phone or gadget, then you can highlight that if possible. But 2 Timothy 3.16, in the New American Standard Bible, it says, All scripture is inspired by God. And here's the word, and profitable. Now, if you own a business, you like that word. You like the word profitable. It's profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be equipped, adequate, that you have everything you need for every good work. That's what the Bible does. The Word of God is not inspired because... I find it interesting. The Word of God is not inspired because I feel inspired. The Word of God is inspired by itself. It's, it's inspired all alone. It, the Bible doesn't need us to be inspired. The Bible doesn't need scholars to prove it to be correct so that it's inspired. It's already inspired, whether or not people agree with it or not. It's the Word of God. It's inspired. Now, we're looking at the Old Testament and the New Testament, and some people will ask, so, so what's the difference? Why is there an Old Testament and New Testament? 
Well, basically, the Old Testament is about the, the season or the time of history and that, that time period before Jesus came, from the start of creation till around Jesus' birth. And the things that God did, the laws that He brought in, remember the Ten Commandments? He brought in the commandments so that we could follow the laws, so that we knew, we knew what was right and what was wrong. He brought in the commandments. So that's the Old Testament. The New Testament is from the birth of Jesus until He comes back again. We're living in the New Testament days. So if people say, oh, we're living in New Testament days, it means we're living in the times after Jesus was born. So it's just separated in two. 66 books in the Bible. And it's separated in two. 29 in the New Testament, and then 29, 49, right? What is that? (laughs) I forgot my math. So it's separated in two. Now, if you read the book of Malachi, which is the last book in the Old Testament, that was 27, sorry. The, <laughs> my brain is not functioning. Uh, the last book of the Old Testament is the book of Malachi. But between the book of Malachi and the book of Matthew, which is the first book of the New Testament, there were over 400 years between the two. And some people will call it the, you know, the silent years or a time where God wasn't speaking. And so we want to look at that. What's the difference and why do we look at it as the Old Testament and New Testament? I, I kind of look at it this way too in, in my life personally and, and probably in yours. That you have an old life and you have a new life. Your old life, we call it the B.C. days, before Christ, right? And then the new life, we call it the A.C. days, after Christ. Now, here's where it's challenging, and this is what I want us to capture tonight as we talk about this. There should be a difference. There should be a major difference. If you read the Old Testament and the New Testament, it's kind of like, wait a minute. All of us, you know, in the Old Testament, it's like God's wrath and and, and, uh, a lot of killing and a lot of battles and wars. And Israel was being taken over by all these surrounding nations. They followed God, then they left God. Then God saved them, and then they turned away from God. They're following the laws of God, and then they followed their own ways. They continuously do this, and then you read the New Testament, and here comes Jesus. and, and, And His love and compassion. There is a major difference between the Old Testament and the New Testament. But if you don't understand the New Testament, and if you just stick to the New Testament, you're not going to know what the Old Testament is all about. You're not going to be able to receive God's fullness because we only read about what happened in the New Testament. we got to catch the two. Scholars will try their very best, or even even those who are anti-Christ, or those who are against Christ, or those who are anti-Bible, they will try to prove the Bible wrong, Uh, Many, even intellectuals, would say, no, the Bible is not real. real. It was written by man. So uh, there's flaws in it, and there's discrepancies in it. And although God used man, who, yes, we make mistakes, He doesn't make mistakes. Man didn't inspire the Word of God. The Word of God is already inspired because God breathed it. It's God breathed. So by the time we come into our century and this time of, of our age... We have this. But it wasn't always like this. It wasn't always with the books compiled together. They had them written in scrolls. They, when God wrote the commandments, He wrote them on stone. Remember, he, he, he wrote it on stone and then carved it out of the mountain and gave it to Moses. Yeah, you know what is interesting? Jesus Himself quoted from the Old Testament. He quoted from 24 books in the Old Testament. In the New Testament, there's over 34 
quotes from, uh, excuse me, 34 books were quoted from the Old Testament. The book of Revelation, if you read that, there are over 400 quotes from the Old Testament. So it's not a separation. It's really one book. But there's a reason why it's like that. And, and when these guys discovered it, it changed everything about the Bible. In fact, there are many intellects that were, were they're just baffled. They were saying, okay, wait a minute. You know, everything that we're trying to disprove about the Bible, we have a bigger problem now. Because now we have something that dates as far back as way before we could print this. And they found every single book that's contained in the Bible with these scrolls, except the book of Esther. And so as, as, as we read this word, it's not just a book that we pick up and read. It has been preserved by God Himself. There's some, um, if you can turn to this slide, there's, this is in uh, Jerusalem. And these are those jars that they would put the scrolls into. And these are like clay jars. And they last throughout time. Uh, here's the next slide. And this is Israel. The Mediterranean Sea. But you can see in that, right in the middle where it says Qumran. That's where they found the Dead Sea Scrolls. It's right next to the Dead Sea. It's right on the edge of the Dead Sea in these caves. And it's interesting that it's been hidden for that long. And because we find these scrolls, it, it, it does bring to light and, and, and brings the question to our minds that, wait a minute, if, if what the Bible is saying is accurate, that means then everything that God says in His Word has to go somewhere. That it cannot just be like a history book or a math book or a book we read or some kind of fictional story that we read and that's it. There must be more to this book than what it looks like. Because if you read the words of the Bible, it's like alive. It's living. Now, many of us who read the Bible, we understand what it means for the, for the Word of God to come to life. Because when we apply it into our lives, we change. That's why we need to have an old life and a new life. It's, if it's the same, I would wonder if we're actually reading the Bible and applying it in our lives. Again, I cannot be on the shore... And on the boat. I have to be on one side or the other. And it's a challenging thing. But it's reality. And Jesus says, you, if, if I'm going to bless you, you got to do things my way. I cannot have God's blessings doing things my way. It's just not going to happen. Light cannot, light cannot be with darkness. It, it cannot be together. Once the light is turned on, darkness flees. So if you're living in darkness all the time, I, I wonder, are you living in the light? Are you following Jesus Christ? Or do you just want the promises of God and the blessings of God, but you still want to live in darkness? Light and darkness cannot coexist. I remember going back to one of my uh, uh, parties in, in, uh, with my family in Waimanalo. And this was a while back, a couple years ago. Uh, and... And as I'm there with my family, I'm greeting them, and we're talking story, and, and they're like, oh, Sheldon's here. They'll hide all their beers and, and things like that. And I'm like, it's all right. You know, you guys, you, you know God, you know, you know Christ, and, and, and things like that. And, and my auntie said something very interesting, because we're all, they're all outside, not under the tent. They're outside by the trees, by the bushes, by the benches, and all in the darkness. And there's hardly anybody under the, under the light. And she goes, wow, look at us, Sheldon. Yeah, we we all in the darkness. How come? How come we all in the darkness? And in my mind, I'm thinking, because it's a natural thing. Whatever's happening spiritually is going to manifest itself physically. So if I'm constantly living in the darkness in, in spiritually, then I'm going to do that 
physically. Try watch when you go to parties. When it's, it's, it's all the dark areas that everybody's hanging out. Very rarely are there people under the light. And usually it's, and not to poke fun, but it's usually the older people. Why? Because they're wiser now. They used to do that. But now they realize, wait a minute, there's a better way to live. And so when Jesus comes on the scene, he says, I am the light of the world. There's no more darkness. He who finds me finds a good thing. I am the light of the world. Don't hide your light under a basket. You put it in a place for everyone to see. So now you look at the difference between the Old Testament and New Testament. And when you read it, things are completely different. Like how our lives should be completely different. I look at it this way. The Bible is like one play. And between the Old Testament and the New Testament, those 400 years was like the scene change. You know when there's a school play and then it dims, the light dims. And then, you know, you have all these guys come on stage and they rearrange the entire set. And then the light goes back on and, oh, it's a completely different set. Different set, same play. That's the Old and New Testament. Different set, same play. Different scene, but same God. And so the Old Testament and New Testament, when put together, and when we can read both, we understand the fullness of God. If not, we won't understand how God created us and made us for better things ahead. We call it doing devotions. We'll read devotions, and we read Old Testament and New Testament. And sometimes we say, oh, I don't want to read all of that. I just want to stick to the New Testament. I want to stick to my favorite scriptures. I want to stick to that. And that's fine if you want to stay there. And that's up to you. That's your choice. But God gave us His entire Word for us to put into our lives. Because there are promises in His, in His Word. So let's look at the scene now. When Jesus came into this world, and now we can look back on it and say, Oh, this is the, this is the New Testament days we're living in. That there are differences between the Old and New Testament. And, and when we look at what was taking place at the time of Christ's birth... It was a completely different scene because 400 years has passed. When Jesus came on the scene, Rome was at power. And Rome is now the dominant power of the earth. And Rome is spreading out to dominate even more. And now the center of power is now being spread out from west to east. And now it's in Rome And you still have the worship that they were doing in the Old Testament. You still have those things happening. At this time, Palestine is still a puppet state. It's like they they never get to become their own. And the Jews never regain their sovereignty. They're still living under oppression. But now there's a new king on the throne. And this new king is the descendant of Esau instead of a descendant of Jacob, and his name is Herod the Great. So I I just want to draw this out because I want us to catch this. When Abraham had his children, Abraham, Isaac, and then you had Jacob. But really, there was another baby, Esau. So you had Jacob and Esau. Jacob, his descendants, the Jews. Esau, his descendants, the Arab nations. Jesus, 
is here. He is a descendant from Jacob and, of course, David. And you can see the whole lineage in the book of Matthew. So you have these two. And if you look at where Israel is, it's surrounded by Arab nations. And if you read the Old Testament, you will see how that takes place and why we are where we are at today. Why, why there's so many uh, wars and, and conflictions and things that are happening in the Middle East. Why it's that tense right now. It goes all the way back to these days. So now you have, you have Jesus and you have Herod who does not want... Jesus to rise up to be king. Remember, they were saying, oh, he's the coming king. And Herod is like, wait a minute. No, no, no. There's only one king and I am it. So, you have these two opposing forces that Herod doesn't want Jesus alive, but Jesus is all for the world. Because remember, Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world. I'm I'm not here to start a war Peter thought he came to start a war. Peter grabbed some swords and he said, let's go take them out. And Jesus said, no, no, that's not the kind of war that we're fighting. It's a different kind of battle. It's the kingdom of God. So now, as time goes by, you still had the priests who were uh, overseeing the temple. And and remember, Aaron uh, was the priesthood. If you read in the Old Testament, some of you might be lost right now. So you've got to read the Old Testament. Now, Aaron's bloodline were the priest line. But after a while, because the Israelites were not following God, they kind of did their own thing. They would hire priests. That's what they would do. And so now you fast forward the tape here. They, there are no longer priests in the lineage of Aaron. Now you have priests that can just be bought for political gain. They would just buy them and say, you're the priest, so go do your priestly thing. But the temple is still at the center of worship. So Jerusalem, they're still worshiping. And although the building has been partially destroyed and rebuilt about a half a dozen times, that's why when you read the Old Testament, it says, you know, the the temple of God was destroyed, but they rebuilt it. And then the temple was destroyed and then was rebuilt. And then they came again and then they rebuilt the temple. It was constantly being destroyed. But now in Jesus' days, there's many synagogues. That's why you read in the New Testament, they taught in synagogues. And Jesus himself taught in synagogues. Now, at this time, the people of Israel were split in three major parties. You had the Pharisees and you had the Sadducees. Now, if you read the the New Testament, you'll read the Pharisees and Sadducees. Now, catch this, okay? Stay with me. We're we're going somewhere with this. You're going to love this because it's the Word of God. The Pharisees and Sadducees believed different things. The Pharisees believed in the first five books of the Bible, the Torah. And they followed it. That's why Jesus said, you know, you... You follow every single thing, but you're missing the heart behind what you're following. He says, you're, you're full of dead man's bones. You look good on the outside, but inside you're, you're unclean. You're trying to do everything according to the law, but it's not helping you. They also believed in the resurrection of the dead. And they knew that there was then an afterlife. And the Pharisees kind of treated the, the Torah, the first five books of the Bible, like, like how we treat the U.S. Constitution. Like many, of, many people, sometimes us, will use the U.S. Constitution for our gain. You know, say, I have, I have rights, I have freedom, I have the right to speech, I have the right to speak up, I have, I have the right to do this. I, these are my rights. And so we try to gain our rights. And that's kind of like what the Pharisees were doing. They said, no, 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 in the book of the law, it says this. That's why when they came to Jesus and said, Jesus, this woman was caught in adultery. The law says she must be stoned to death. And that's when Jesus says, 
any of you who has no sin, go ahead, cast the first stone. And they're like, man, he got us again. And they had to leave. Because Jesus was more than the law. He knew where the law was taking them. The, the, the Sadducees rejected the idea of the oral law. They, they were more of the, the interpretation of it and the literal interpretation of the written law and did not believe in the afterlife because it was not written in, in the Torah. It was not written in the first five books of the Bible. So they had differences. But then you had those that wanted to preserve the Bible. And they wanted to make sure that the Bible stayed in contact or stayed intact. They wanted to make sure that the words that were written were preserved. The Pharisees were more prominent than this group and this smaller group, the Essenes, could hardly be designated as a party because they were so small. And because they were such a small group, it's like they kind of just diminished and not long after they came into that uh, the kind of way of thinking of, of, of wanting to preserve what was being written, they took these writings and hid it because they wanted to preserve it. This third group. Guess where they hid it? They hid it in the caves at Qumran. They found these caves next to the Dead Sea. And this group said, you know what? We're going to preserve these scrolls, these writings. And so they hid it. And they hid it in the caves by the Dead Sea. Which now, almost 2,000 years later, here's this shepherd boy looking for his goat. And here's the story. And he comes across this cave. And, and as little shepherd boys would be, you know, scared because it's dark, picks up a rock and kind of throws it in the cave, hoping that his goat or whatever it is would come out. But he hears something shatter. So he goes in and finds the Dead Sea Scrolls. Now, when Jesus was walking on this earth. He did everything he knew he needed to do so that those who were eyewitnesses would write about him. Jesus never wrote one book of the Bible. These were witnesses who wrote about him, which I find very interesting because if I wanted to start my own religion, if I wanted to start my own kind of following or my own cult kind of thing, I would write it up. I would, I, would, I would sit down and I would write up, okay, what are the rules? The rules should be this. Not Jesus. Why? Because He was and is the Word. That's what the book of John says. So now because He is the Word, here comes all the eyewitnesses and saying, wait a minute, there's, there's something different about this man. And so they wrote all these things down to preserve what Jesus was doing. If you read the Old Testament and understand the New Testament, everything in the Old Testament pointed to Jesus Christ. Everything pointed to Christ. And so when you bring the two together, it makes perfect sense. So what happened in these 400 years called the silent years between Malachi and Matthew? What took place? Well, if you have your Bibles, turn to Galatians chapter 4, verse 4. Paul writes this letter to the Galatians. 
And it says this. When the time had fully come, God sent forth His Son, born of woman, born under the law. In other words, the time of our Lord's birth was God's appointed hour. God knew exactly what He was doing. He was waiting for the right moment. And God was preparing this for such a long time. And some of the exciting preparations that took place in that time of silence, you and I will understand much better when we read the New Testament. When we understand the historic value of the New Testament as well as the Old Testament, when we can bring them both together. Now, after Malachi ceased his prophesying, and the canon of the Old Testament closed, which means that these were the final books, and they said, okay, these are the, these are the final books of the Old Testament. It's canonized. It's done. After all of that took place... God allows this time period to pass. 400 years. In other words, letting the Old Testament penetrate the entire world. And then during this time, He rearranges the scene of history, if you would. And now there's a new setting. And in this new setting, you can tell the difference. That's why, that's why we teach the entire Bible. Because our life will be just like the Bible. That when we come to know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, it's going to be an entirely different setting than the life that we used to live. Like I said earlier, it, there should be a difference. It should be different. Our old life and our new life should be different. A survey was done years ago of American Christians in major, in, in major Bible-believing denominations. And it showed that there was an uh, ignorance of the Old Testament. And very little preaching of it, as far as the Old Testament goes. That Bible teaching pastors basically dealt with a few passages in the writings, like Psalms and Proverbs. And we like those two books. And usually they did the first 11 chapters of the book of Genesis. But everything else was ignored. I looked at it this way, that the Old Testament is not like a handy book for us to understand just, oh, what happened back then. It's not just some type of history book. It's really something that will add to our life. And in order for us to understand the entire Bible, we got to have both Old Testament and New Testament together. When you read the New and Old Testament, you understand the big picture of what God's purpose is. You understand where God is going with everything. You understand where history is going. You understand why Jesus had to ascend into heaven and why he's coming back. You're going to understand everything. Someone once said it like this. You can understand the New Testament better when you read the Old Testament. Jeremiah 31, verses 31 through 34. It says, That's right. The time is coming when I will make a brand new covenant with Israel and Judah. Now, Jeremiah is in the Old Testament. It won't be a repeat of the covenant I made with their ancestors when I took their hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt. They broke that covenant even though I did my part as their master. That's God's decree. This is the brand new covenant that I will make with Israel when the time comes. Remember now those 400 years, so God was working. I will put my law within them, write it on their hearts. Now you gotta, you got to remember this. Remember the, the Old Testament was written, was being written. The laws of God was written on stone tablets, right? The Ten Commandments. 
Those are the laws of God. And he gave that to mankind. Now God is saying it's no longer going to be written on stone. It's going to be written on their hearts. Now here's a major difference with the Old and New Testament. It's now written on our hearts. And I will be their God and they will be my people. They will no longer go around setting up schools to teach each other about God. They will know me firsthand. The dull and the bright, the smart and the slow. I will wipe the slate clean for each of them. I'll forget they ever sinned. This is God's brand new covenant with us. He's saying that the the law, you're like protected under the law. The law was almost like protective custody. You know, there's people trying to get you or evil trying to get you. And God brings the law to say, here's what you need to follow because I'm doing something in the meantime. I'm going to... I'm going to do something that you know not of. It can be said about the Old Testament that the Old Testament is the new concealed. And the new Testament is the old revealed. So they they help each other. It's like the Old Testament was temporary and limited. But the New Testament is complete, eternal, and universal. That it does, it's so, it's unlimited. Because it's Christ coming to this earth. Well, the Jews really cared about the preservation of the words in this book. And so they preserved it very well. And no one has ever preserved a book like this greater than the Jews did. And now we have it today. The Dead Sea Scrolls that we're looking at and and the, the finding of the Dead Sea Scrolls It reveals passage after passage after passage that predicts the first coming of Jesus Christ. So as the Bible is predicting Jesus coming into the world, they're trying to figure this out. If you're doing your devotions, you're going to be reading soon about the Pharisees and people wondering, wait, is this, this cannot be the Messiah. They're speaking of Jesus. This cannot be him. Because no one will know where the Messiah has come from. But where does it say that the Messiah comes from Nazareth? Where does it say that? Because we've seen him grow up. This cannot be the Messiah. We saw him grow up. There's no way he can be the Messiah. There's no way this can be the one that the Old Testament is talking about. There's no way that this can be the one that all of these prophets are talking about. There's no way. That's why they had a hard time following Jesus. Because they were looking to man rather than to God. And they're trying to wrap their brains around, how can this be the Son of God? Remember, Jesus said, if you, don't, if you don't believe in me, believe in the miracles that I do. It's like he's saying, I'm going to show you proof of who I am. But he says this, an evil and an adulterous generation seeks after a sign. He says, blessed are those who do not see and believe. Isaiah Chapter 2, verses 2 and 3, it says, In the last days, the mountain of the Lord's house will be the highest of all, the most important place on earth. It will be raised above the other hills, and people from all over the world will stream there to worship. And Isaiah is talking about Jerusalem, that there's going to be a day to come when the new law would go forth from Jerusalem. And he says the, the world will stream there to worship. People from many nations will come and say, Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of Jacob's God. There he will teach us his ways, and we will walk in his paths. For the Lord's teaching will go out from Zion. His word will go out from Jerusalem. This is Isaiah prophesying this. 
hundreds of years before Jesus comes onto the scene. In the New Testament, the Apostle Paul stated that the law of Moses had been given until the seed, which is Jesus Christ, had come. In Galatians chapter 3, verses 19 through 27, Paul writes this, Why then was the law given? And he says, It was given alongside the promise to show people their sins. Isn't that interesting? It's like, we didn't know what we were doing was right or wrong, and we kind of used that as an excuse. Now, I don't know if I'm doing right or wrong. God says, okay, here's the Ten Commandments. And we're like, oh, okay, we'll follow these. But they didn't want to follow it because it revealed sin. And so they kind of made up their own laws according to the laws of God, but, but kind of did their own thing and made up more laws. Kind of like how we have in our world today. I don't know how many laws we have in the United States or, or even in our own state. But we continually make up laws and laws and laws and laws and laws to counteract because one person feels this way. Oh, this person feels that way. Oh, this person feels this way. So let's just make laws. It's like God is saying, it's simple. I only have 10. But then remember when Jesus came on the scene, he made it even simpler. It's like Jesus saying, okay, okay, 10, too much. Too much. I'll make it simple. It's like everybody is waiting. Okay, Jesus, give us the law. What is the laws? Because we know you're the Son of God. Go for it. Love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Huh. Ooh, that's a good one. That's a good one. So I'm going to love God with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love my neighbor as myself. Yep, that, do that. We can't even do that. Just one thing. You see, it was never the law that was going to fulfill righteousness. It was going to be Christ. That was going to fulfill all righteousness and Christ in us. We cannot do good. There's no good in us. Only Christ is good. That's why we need Christ in us. That's why we got to live for Him. And so he continues. God gave His law through angels to Moses, who was the mediator between God and the people. Now, a mediator is helpful if more than one party must reach an agreement. But God, who is one, did not use a mediator when he gave his promise to Abraham. Is there a conflict then between God's law and God's promises? Absolutely not. If the law could give us new life, we could be made right with God by obeying it. But the scriptures declare that we are all prisoners of sin, so we receive God's promise of freedom only by believing in Jesus Christ. Before the way of faith, in Christ was available to us, we were placed under guard by the law. We were kept in protective custody, so to speak, until the way of faith was revealed. Let me put it another way. The law was our guardian until Christ came. It protected us until we could be made right with God through faith. And now that the way of faith has come, we no longer need the law as our guardian. For you are all children of God through faith in Christ Jesus, and all who have been united with Christ in baptism have put on Christ like putting on new clothes. We don't have enough in us to do what is good. We need Christ. It is only through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ that we can fulfill all the possibilities that God sees for our lives. There should be an old life. There should be a new life. We can't have them both mixed together. Yeah, but what if I make mistakes? What if I... Well, here's what I would say. And here's what I want you to think through. Are the mistakes you're making today something that God corrected long ago? 
Are you getting better with the mistakes of today? And by the way, a mistake is a mistake. Not an on purpose, oh, I'm sorry, shucks, I shouldn't have done that. That was a mistake. No. There's a difference between do some, doing something deliberately and getting caught for it or finding yourself in such darkness that you're saying, oh, I just made a mistake. No, you, you made a purpose. Some of us make purpose and call it a mistake. A mistake is mistake. It was done in ignorance. It was a mistake. Some of us do things on purpose and say, God, I made a mistake. And God is saying, I want to help you get in my boat because I'm going to the other side. I don't know about you. I don't want to stay on my old side. I want to go to the new side. I want to live a new life in Christ Jesus, not an old life in myself. Amen. Let's pray together. Okay, let's pray because we got much to pray about. We got much to pray about. I'm going to invite the worship team to come up also. Take a deep breath. Okay, God's word is good, right? Yes, it is. God's word is good. And as we pray, settle some things in your heart too. You know, I don't know what, what is happening in your life. You don't know what is happening in my life, but God does. And we stay close to God, stay on his boat. Even though we may feel like he's sleeping, he's not. He has everything under control. He'll calm the storms inside of us. You watch what he does. Let's pray. Would you bow your heads? Lord, when we, when we look at our lives today, there are some old things that are still inside of us. There's no doubt about that because our flesh cannot get saved. But it's your, it's your spirit that is in us that gives us a new life. That old things have passed away. That means it's dead. They're no lo- they no longer exist. But for some reason, there's still things inside of us that are like the old ways. It's almost like we keep resuscitating the old life that we used to live. And you're saying, wait a minute, it's dead. I put that to death. I've given you a new life. So Lord, help us to live a new life. That you've modeled for us, as you did in the Old Testament and New Testament. That even in our lives, we have an old life and a new life. Different scenes, but same life. Same play. That you're, you're heading somewhere with us. That we're not just stuck on the shore, but when we step into your boat, we're going to encounter some storms. We're going to encounter some dark times. We'll encounter some times of loneliness. But we shouldn't fear because we have you. That you will always be there for us. And even though it may seem like we're encountering these storms by ourselves, you never leave us, you never forsake us. It just may very well be. That you're on the bottom of the boat. That you have everything under control. That you know what's taking place in our lives. And you do not leave us by ourselves. You are that good and you are that precise. Help us to fall in love with your word. That we would be people. Who read the inspired word of God. Because all scripture is inspired and it's profitable. It's profitable for teaching, for correction, for training in righteousness, for reproof that we would be adequate, equipped for every good work as parents, as a husband, as a wife, as a child, as a single person, as someone who's dating, someone who is under financial stress. That it's your word, Lord, that can help us. It helps us with the innermost part of our being that we just cannot do anything about. 
you permeate every single part of our lives. You, Lord, are more than amazing. And for that, we are so grateful for. We appreciate you, Lord. We thank you for your word. In this name that we pray, we all said, Amen. Can we thank our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ? Lord, we thank you.